Welcome to Outside Inside Radio, which is brought to you by Prison Arts Collective. Prison Arts Collective is founded on the belief that art is a human right and is dedicated to bringing the transformative power of the arts to people experiencing incarceration. Our collaborative teaching teams include faculty, students, and staff, and our classes include art making, art history, reflection, and the cultivation of a safe space. We're based in the School of Art and Design at San Diego State University and have additional chapters at three CSU campuses. Prison Arts Collective is a project of Arts and Corrections, an initiative of the California Arts Council and the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation. Outside Inside Productions are a way to communicate with our participants and with the wider public through video and other media as an extension of our distance learning project created in response to COVID-19. Hey everyone, this is Ella Turen and I'm your co-host for Outside Inside Radio. And I'm Kathy Foley-Meyer, your other co-host. Welcome. We are so excited here to be with Jesse Bliss, the phenomenal artist, writer, teacher, founder of the Roots and Wings Project. I can't wait to hear all of the things that you're up to and also to talk about the creative journey and all of the projects that you've been doing. Welcome to the show, Jesse. We're so happy to have you here. I'm honored to be here, truly. Thank you for having me. It's phenomenal work uh, that you're doing. And Ella, you know I'm a big fan of yours. So, <laughs> so mutual. It's a love fest. <laughs> so, you know, we always start by asking people about their artistic journey. And this is something that I've never actually had a chance to talk to you about, how you became an artist. And you do so much, you know, not just as a writer and a director, as an actress, I'd love to hear about, you know, how you got into this work. I had a tumultuous childhood. So for me, art was a place I could breathe and feel at peace. And I started going inside to prison at age 16 when my boyfriend, who was my lifeline at that time, got incarcerated. And I did not understand the impact of it at that time and how, you know, visiting him and essentially really doing that time with him would come back to inform my work as an artist in the way that it has. Um, but I started, you know, going inside prisons to do writing and theater work. Um, well, it's been, it's definitely been about 20 years. <laughs> So long. Yes, but I I feel for me, it, both as an artist and a facilitator of the work, it could have been me. And I always feel very passionate about doing the work. It doesn't feel like giving back. It feels like I understand you and my freedom is a gift. My boyfriend had a lot of unmentionables in his trunk and he got in some really serious trouble so close to my house, right? And to picking me up. And there were many other times that my safety and my freedom could have been jeopardized. And I've been in those situations, unfortunately, as a grown woman as well. There is such a deep understanding that I feel when I sit with the women inside. And it doesn't compare to anything I experience anywhere else in the whole world. I know you understand that. And then at the same time, because many things are true at once, 
the work that I do as an artist in the world, as a writer, as a producer, and as a director is equally important, but there's a gap. There's a gap in understanding between the artists that I work with out here and the audience members that you know I engage with out here or we engage with and what circumstances led people to be inside. And that gap deeply upsets me, um, so much so that the only way I can deal with the gap is to try my best within reason to do something about it. Mm -hmm. And thus is sort of the body of work I've created along the way. And, um, you know, the show we're doing now, Matriarch, there's nine pieces written by nine different human beings who have been discriminated against for female identity. And one of those voices um, in the show uh, is Taylor Lytell. And I met her first in youth prison at Central Juvenile Hall. Um, 15 mm. years ago. Wow. So for Taylor to have her story a part of this collective is, is so incredibly important to me. And, you know, what we had to do to facilitate that was no joke either. Right. So I'm sure that's very powerful, heavy work right there. I picked up, um, you know, 18 or 20 handwritten pages from wow. Taylor. Wow. You know, I picked them up in my car with my daughter in the back seat. I was, and it was like catching a football. Okay. Got it. Got it. <laughs> got it. We got it. And then, you know, the transcription process um, and the dramaturgical process and honoring Taylor's voice and the fact that it isn't written in a way that you know, sounds like other voices that you would quote unquote normally hear in the American theater, mm -hmm. you know, and, and not only being good with that, but being happy about it. Yeah. You know? That's the real, it's the realness of it. Right. And I think that's what theater is supposed to do at its core. And I think, you know, the, the work that you do is so interesting because you're co-creating this work with folks inside, with folks who have been impacted but also a lot of the work, at least that I've seen you do, has an external component to it of bringing those voices back outside, connecting it to communities, both people who resonate with it very deeply and people who know nothing about it, right? So the, the way to allow voices, allow stories to be seen and heard, I think is so important. And your work sort of like straddles that. It's both just like, you know, the name of our podcast, Outside Inside. As long as I've known you, I've always seen you doing that work, the outside and the inside. Um, so powerful too. And I feel like, I wonder the folks who you work with, like what that experience is like for them to have their work reach such a wide audience? There's been a big change in the Roots and Wings project that has offered more support to those voices because the company is heavy um, with voice, you know, stories from voices of the unnamed, unknown, and misunderstood, 
right? But for that voice in the show, which or in any show we do, which is so important, um, a magical, mystical thing happened where I went into Lancaster Men's Prison to run a pilot program that Poets and Writers was sponsoring. And I had a challenging time facilitating the program. The culmination was magnificent. The men's work was some of the most powerful work I've ever been near in my life. And I met a man on my way out of the prison who was standing in the hallway and he introduced himself to me. Hi, I'm Tobias Tubbs. And he said, we're going to work together. I'm going to get out of here and we're going to work together. And I said, okay. And in my mind at that exact moment, I thought, mm-hmm. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, who's getting out of Lancaster? Show me. And then long story short, we did a theatrical immersive tour throughout, you know, downtown Los Angeles. It was a crazy undertaking. We were in Skid Row. Was that Luminous Streets? Yes. Yeah. I wanted you to talk more about that because I saw that. We needed a headquarters for it. And right. Words Uncaged contacted me and said, we have this office. We have this headquarters. By any chance, do you need to use it? I said, yes. And I get to rehearsal significantly early. And I see this enormous man with a hood and glasses, and he's walking toward me. And I wondered, oh, is this the man he connected me with? Oh, it couldn't be. I'm here an hour early. And the man just keeps walking, and he gets all the way up to me, six foot five takes off his hoodie and his glasses, and there's Tobias Tubbs. Wow. And we both just started crying. Yeah, that's... <laughs> you know, come on. What a moment. And the short of it is, I said, Tobias, you know the Roots and Wings project from the inside. You yes, understand yes. what we do in a way that's impossible for me to communicate to these actors. Would you please come to rehearsal? Mm. And he said, I came wow. early hoping you'd be here. And I said, well, that's strange because I wasn't supposed to. He said, I didn't want to let you down. It's I made divine you a intervention. It is. A divine it is. intervention. It's the universe it stepping the in. Universe. And here we have this giant circle of 15 people. And they didn't understand the meaning of the, the, how lucky it was that we could be together in that space. Tobias hadn't been around women for 30 years. He was down. 30 years. So he sat in that circle and he cried and cried. And he said, this is such a blessing that I get to be around all these women. What a blessing. And it just literally pierced the air and everybody was awakened and everybody was crying and they understood the importance of what we were doing. And then I brought him on as a co-producer, of course. And then I thought, you know what, he needs to lead this tour. And he did. And people didn't realize they're being led through the streets by someone who hadn't had their freedom by 30 years. He and I became such dear friends. And um, so he facilitated a workshop to guide us into this production that goes up next weekend. I think there's a different sense of what it means now because, right, Tobias has become that for the Roots and Wings Project. He has taken on that responsibility of re-entry. And what it looks like is bridging the gap between the artists and the other artists, you know, and we need yeah. that. Yeah, you meant you mentioned the Roots and Wings project a couple times. Do you want to just talk a little bit about how you started it and and kind of what it's all about? It's deep. The the short the short of it is <laughs> the short version. The short the short version is I was visiting my mother 
when I was living in New York City and 9-11 happened. And I thought, oh my God, I cannot go back. Like for what? I was working with an all-female troupe. It was an incredible experience, but there was no place for me in New York at that time. I decided, I, I told my mom, I need to stay with you. Can I stay with you in Sacramento? She of course was like, yes. I enrolled in college that week, got robbed at gunpoint. <laughs> Like what? So it was this whole unraveling of my life all within this all happened within two weeks. So I went into the garage in my mom's garage. I was looking through my old things and just trying to figure out like, well, what is happening right now? And I found this box of letters from my boyfriend when he was incarcerated. And I kid you not, I sit, I sat down and I wrote a play in 12 hours. I did not stop working for those 12 hours and it was called Roots and Wings. And it was about a woman having to come to terms with her past to be truthful about her present. And that's what the Roots and Wings project means. It's very much like that African um, idea of Sankofa, going back in time to claim the truth of your past in all its beauty and ugliness to, you know, to know how you came to be. And so, so the, you know, I, I passed the playoff to the producers I was working with in New York and it went up with these two brilliant actors from the Bronx and I flew out to go see it. And I was completely floored by the, the extraordinary level of work that they did. It was just so powerful. I took the play back to San Francisco, produced it there, and then it just kept rolling and everything just kept going. And the Roots and Wings project for me was very much, it was like graffiti art. I never wanted it to be a formalized thing. I did not, I really did not want that for it. I didn't want the bureaucracy. I didn't want 501c3. I just wanted it to be as raw and dirty and underground as humanly possible. And for a long time it was until it just kept growing. But the good news is that I think now it still has everything it was meant to have, but it has the spiritual protection to now be, you know, kind of above ground, so to speak. Yeah, but I think in its evolution, it's become very important to emphasize the voice of women and women of color. And that's really mostly what we do, but we have male allies now, and that's also important. Yeah, I think that's, so important as well, because in when we think about mass incarceration, women are really many times forgotten. We automatically think of men. And although it's a smaller population, it's a faster growing population. And really, if you think about the trauma that, it, you know, sits in those facilities, right, that people are bringing with them, that they're experiencing inside, people have no idea what that trauma is like. And when you talked earlier about like sitting with, with women and hearing their stories, sharing stories, it's really sharing the stories. I think that's the thing that's powerful to me. For a long time, when I worked with um, young men, people would always say, don't work with the girls. You know, don't work with the girls, don't work with the women, they're tougher. They just, you can't work with them. And I think when I finally did get to work with young women, I realized what it was that people were really articulating it it was the fear of the truth it's like women just tell you the truth the way it is like you said raw and gritty it, it this is how they're going to give it to you and they're going to they're going to size you up and they're going to tell you about yourself and about and about everything that's going on 
And I actually found that so refreshing. And that's what, that's what that powerful connection is. And I was like, people are afraid of that power. Yes. Fear of female power for sure. Mm -hmm. I love what you're saying. You're right. People are, are so afraid of it because it, it threatens our paradigm of existence, which is patriarchy. We're still so right. We're still so deep in that paradigm. So, and I love how you said that Ella, that they, that you'll experience levels of honesty in there that you usually don't out here. And also those levels of honesty are critically important because we live in a society that does harm on women. Mm-hmm. And the women inside are survivors of the unthinkable, right? Yes. Yeah. And so, you know, what you're doing with the shows that you put up and the book of poetry that you did, I wanted you to talk about that collaboration because it's so unique and a combination of, you know, performance and writing and art and visual art, you know, that that um, really bringing to light people's truth, women's truth, I think is is so important and necessary. But yeah, I want you to talk about uh, the, the, the book that you did. Um, yeah, I love myself golden. I love myself golden. Yes. I love that little booklet. And can you talk a little bit? Because I remember also there's there's so much packed into what it took for you to make this book, to birth this this piece of art. It was extraordinary what you had to do just to get there. And then the beauty of it just existing and what it meant and the intentionality behind every piece of it from the production to the actual work itself. I would love to, to for you to talk a little bit more about that. Absolutely. I have been at... Central Juvenile Hall for 12 years. And I, my daughter was very little at that time. And I felt like for so many reasons, it was time to leave. And I had been on the special handling unit that whole time. And those girls would come to my class pregnant and scared and ask me about giving birth. And come back, you know, which I didn't know because I wasn't a mom at that time. And then they come back to class the next week, not pregnant anymore and lactating. And it was the most heartbreaking thing you'd ever see in your life. It was just, just, just to sit with them when they just had their baby ripped away and they're in solitary confinement, you know? Um, And so when I was going to leave, I thought I need, they need something. They need something in there, but I couldn't think of what existed already to give them. So I got the idea in a bar one night with colleagues that I you know, have been going inside with. The idea came into me like lightning. And then I thought, you know what? So many things are held back because of resources. And I didn't have the resources. I'm like, what am I going to go and like, you know, go around the city looking for a publisher and the da 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 da. And I just thought, nah, like it is in me. I see it. And I'm just going to keep visualizing it until it's crystal, crystal clear, like all the details. And then I challenged myself. It was an important part of creating it. I said, you're going to sit down and do the whole thing at one time. And you're not getting up till that book is written. And, you know, the book is palm size, you know, to be hidden in the bra so that, cause they're going to take it, it's going to get taken, but at least this way it could kind of pass around a little bit. And I hit up my friend Alfie. I have the cover here. She made this for the book. So I told Alfie my idea privately and she gave me all these, you know, visuals. She's like, here, Jess, like whatever you want. And then I looked at her paintings and I wrote to each painting. 
And um, and then when it was finished, I did, you know, I, I said something about the project publicly on social media and then poets and writers got behind it. And then, you know, from there it grew. But the interesting thing about this project to us is that it was only the women inside I was thinking of, only. And it resonates so deeply with people out here. So it has come to be helpful in that bridge that you all know so well about, right? The inside, outside, this discrepancy that we deal with. I think the book has been also very telling about our humanity because why do they relate? But then out here we relate. It's like everybody feels trapped by something, right? Everybody feels oppressed in a certain way. So um, it's been interesting to see like, all, like when, if it goes onto a shelf, it flies off. It's in San Francisco. It's in a few stores down here. But at this point, we want to see more for it. You know, we want to see more for the book. We like to take it in a new direction and get more mass distribution into the prisons. Like we've done some, you know, we brought in chunks inside definitely, but we want to see it circulate more and maybe even do some revision that has more material for people to understand, you know, what's going on inside and what mm -hmm. mass incarceration is. Mm -hmm. It just, it just that we didn't develop that way because that's not who it was for. Right. Right. You know? Um, I wonder if you can read a little bit from it. Absolutely. Um, I'm going to read a passage sort of from the middle of the book. The pain women and girls feel is so often discounted. We are taught that it doesn't matter and we should hide it. Tears are your soul's way of taking a bath or shower. Tears are cleansing. Tears help us to process the things we experience in life. Tears are to be released honored and appreciated for without them, we cannot grow. Every time you need to have a good cry, let yourself. You will feel better afterward. If there is a shoulder to cry on, do it. If there isn't, remember the universe sees and hears your every cry and is watching you, loving you and protecting you. There is no shame in your pain, but rather celebration. It means you are alive. Your pain is valid, important, and part of your strength. Ah, oh, that's so beautiful. It is. And so Thank true. You. <laughs> so true. I love the part about um that your that tears are are washing, washing are the thing to wash your soul. Yeah. Um and especially since you know we're always we're always taught, at least in this society, that tears are for the weak, you know, we're not supposed to show that type of emotion. Um, and especially on the inside, I mean, showing your emotions can really get you hurt, it could have some mm -hmm. dire consequences. To be able to give, you know, permission to allow people to do that is so amazing. Thanks for pointing that out, you know, in terms of that it's not okay. I know men are shamed for it for sure. However, there are stereotypes and judgments for women as well, right? If we cry, we're crazy, we're emotional, it's that time of the month. So we get hit just as hard. It just looks a little bit different, but we're still shamed. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, Jesse, you have a new project that's going up. Um, you talked a little bit about it, your project Matriarch that's um, going up next weekend. Do you want to talk a little bit about that and the inspiration behind it? 
Sure. The project uh, came to me when I was breastfeeding in the dark in 2014. It's always those moments. <laughs> always those moments. I, I, you know, I found myself in an inequitable and abusive marriage, you know, and I needed to get out. And I knew that if I kept creating, I could get the clarity that I needed to maneuver out of that situation. But I knew I couldn't be in the kind of rehearsals that I had been in while you know, I was pregnant even. And so I thought, oh my goodness, everyone's feeling like I do, I'm sure. If we all bring a piece in, then there's a whole show, you know? And that puts me, right? It puts me out of isolation, into solidarity, in great company with other women that have important things to say. And so we did a reading at a bar at Tracks at Union Station. I mean, we're just in a bar, but you guys, everybody was crying and laughing. I mean, equally, you know, and then as people would walk past us at Union Station, they would stop and come in. And it was this giant crowd. And after that night, we knew that there was something important there. And so we've been doing iterations over the years. California Arts Council sponsored a full run of the work in 2019. And then right now, we're so grateful to be working with Houston Coalition Against Hate, they do extraordinary work. There are executive producers. We were supposed to fly to Houston, but with the pandemic, we were just going to film it. But then things, of course, switched again. And so, you know, we decided to do the live performance before there was yet another turn, uh, you know, with where we're at now. So we're going to be outside with masks, with temperature checks, with the cast, you know, tested. Um, and, you know, this is a new iteration. Taylor's voice is in the show, and that's really important. And I wanted her to hear her words. She's a gifted performer. I mean, no doubt she could get out there and rip it. But I thought it was important to for her to experience her work embodied by a talented, gifted woman. And to just, you know, experience, like for her to be held by that actress and have her story honored. And for her to have the perspective stepping back from the work. And to hear it that way, I felt like it was important for Taylor. But, you know, we're going through some hard times because we can only rehearse on Zoom right now. Wow. So that's really tough. Then you're going to translate that into a live performance. It's tough. We were just getting ready. You know, we were doing some in-person rehearsals and very much enjoying that and getting ready to bump those rehearsals up even more. And then with the, the variant and all the other dynamics, we had to just stop just to make it safely to next weekend. So I think that the positive of it is it pushes you into the space as, of, as an artist of why am I doing this? Why? Like, really, why? And if you know why, then you get yourself out there and you light that fire up, right? And, you know, this is this is kind of, I, I'm guessing that um, it's almost like stripping it down to the core when you ask that question too, right? Like, let's forget about props. Let's forget about all the tech stuff. It's just the word and the performance and what you're putting into it, right? And that, that definitely gives you something different to work with and a different perspective to approach the work, I think. I agree with you. It does. I love what you're saying. The challenge is there's no established love language about this yet. There's no, right? We did a project 
was one of the fav my favorite things I ever did in my life in the pandemic before the vaccines. We did a project called the Joy Ride, where our, we had four extraordinary world-class artists deliver a show out of a vintage convertible. And Tobias Tubbs was one of them. And it was, wow. they, it was just, yeah, it was powerful. I was really floored by the way the artists just took it and they had such solidarity and you know what it was actually equal to what you see inside on that particular show mm -hmm. i had not seen that before out here not like that but they had done luminous streets together so they you know they'd been through the fire they had built that yeah they had built that with this cast you know there there are people who have done the show before but we're in such a different context so i try to stay as supportive as i can and as relaxed as i can about the fact that the space is gray and that not everyone's going to it's almost like everyone has to make their own sense of it but i like that it jolts artists back to the core and then the privilege like but we're so lucky we get to go out and do this right now because who knows yeah we don't know what it's going to look like from week to week no something that you said earlier made me think too about um especially about tobias's role in this and what what you talked about that he he brought to the performers and just the project in general. You know, in acting, we like to talk about stakes, you know, like what are the stakes in your performance? You know, we talk about our objective and all of that, but you, you know, this, what he brought to the project made me think that it not only clarified the stakes as a performer, but like as, as a human being, like he upped the stakes for the entire thing for, for all the actors, because all of a sudden now you understand how real it is. I just think that's that's interesting too. And I wonder for you, as you've watched this project grow, like how has it been for you to see it go from this, you know, one play that you wrote in 12 hours to having all of these people like sharing this journey with you? I'm grateful, Ella. I really am. I love to collaborate. I absolutely love it. And I feel like it has been powerful to witness the evolution of it because it's grown. For example, I brought a man writer into the show several years ago and people were questioning me. This is a space for women, Jesse. Why are you doing that? I said, excuse me. He was condemned for his femininity. He was condemned for the same things we're condemned for. It is not different, right? It's not. And my mother, you know, was a single mom since I was a baby and raised me with her best friend. And he was gay and he was my greatest male influence. You know, my femininity literally came from a man. I kid you not. You know, it's an interesting aspect of me. So, you know, I have such a deep gratitude for the way that Terry is his name for how he suffered because I watched it as a little girl. I didn't know there was discrimination, you know, until I got older and, and it really hurt me to learn about that. And so um, I felt that this voice was so important in the show and people have responded so much to this story and, the, and this voice. And I think it has also emphasized how universal 
the struggle is. It's not a struggle about women. It's a struggle for humanity and human rights. And men need to care as much as we do because we're people just like their people. Mm -hmm. And so that, you know, has also been a big part of the growth. And we have another man in the show now, Gabriel Diamond. He is coming from Oakland. He is doing a piece that he delivered at his mother's eulogy. This is mm. real. Yes. So I always say about Gabriel's, it's so powerful. I say about Gabriel's work, first and foremost, it is a ritual and an honoring to his mother first. And secondly, it becomes theater because he's generous enough to share it with us. But his mother was a profound artist and a chosen single mother. And I really respect how she raised him and her perspective, you know, is very unique. So, you know, for us to include men and then for the men that are coming around the work to show that level of solidarity, um, it's been powerful. I feel like it's been a magical experience, you know. Yeah, it yeah. sounds like your process, um, the way that you bring people together and the way that you work kind of embodies something that I've read, your concept of risk. Because when you, you know, bring a man into a woman's sort of womenly defined space, a feminine space, or the other way around, you're almost, you're asking them to risk exposing their humanity to one another, you know, and that's a really, it's a, it's a powerful thing, but it's also in the creative process, but it's also a scary thing. It's very scary and it gets messy. It gets messy. I'll give you an example. In Luminous Streets, there were five plays and those were written all by women. And we had one man and you saw Tree of, you remember Tree of Fire, Ella. Tree of mm -hmm. Fire is a work that also had man. So it's one man playing all, all the men. <laughs> and you know what? Some There was a whole thing where some of the women got upset and they, yeah, they said, I don't like this. Like, he, I feel like you know, he's get you know, he's in all of these plays. Like, what's up with that? Why does the man get the lead role? And and you know what? It really humbled me because at first I was I was I was mad, I was irritated. So I'm like, really, you don't get it? And then I had to really like meditate and pray on it and, and humble myself and say, Well, if it was missed, then it's your job to explain it. You know, it's it's as angry as it's making you feel is why there it is. That's the that's part of the point. Mm -hmm. Part of the point. <laughs> so yeah, so thanks for bringing that up because it's not all roses all the time. No, it is a risk. It is a risk. We always ask the folks who come on the show to to talk a little bit to folks inside who are listening. Mm -hmm. And you know, this last thing that we've just talked about in terms of being vulnerable and moving through the ugly parts and the parts that are hard. I wonder if you can talk to folks about what gets you through that. Like, what do you, where do you draw that strength from that inspiration and how can other folks get that when things get really hard as we know that they do and they're trying to do your art, their art and they may not have what they need or they may not have the space or time that they want. Um, what, what would you say to them about, that creative process and what continues to drive you? I get up at 4.30 in the morning and I put, you know, I drink my coffee, you know, and if you don't have coffee, that's fine too. But, you know, you get up and, um, and I pray and I pray. And I don't say that in a religious way. I just say that in a spiritual way, no matter what you believe in, you know, um, I, I pray, I pray hard and then I meditate and I just chant. And then I write, 
I write, you know, I just free write because I need to let everything out to get clear, you know, just whatever is in there. And then, um, and then I try to exercise because that also really just to move, it, it helps me. Um, and then, you know, so that's kind of like, like some of the, the grounding work I do, but then when things are really tough, um, I try to remind myself of moments that I made it through where it didn't seem like I would, where I genuinely was like, okay, I cannot, I can't, I can't go on. And I don't think I'm going to make it right now. But then I did and I'll reflect upon that. And then I'll remember how I got out of it. And I'm like, oh, okay, look at that, you know, or like reading someone else's words really helps me too. you know, like a profound author. I really like reading the work of people who went through a lot. You know, I love that. I'm like, okay, this person is profound. They had a lot of hard knocks, but somehow they made it, you know, because even with I Love Myself Golden, with that book, I, I, I don't love myself golden, but I want to, you know, I want to, like, I, that's my goal, but I have to be easy on myself, right? Because it's like one second, one minute, one day at a time. And I think the more compassion and love that we can try to show ourselves, like whatever you weren't given, if you give it, even though it's kind of foreign to you, you don't really understand, if you give it, it will come back to you. So like just trying to be compassionate with yourself and know that, you know, whatever you're feeling is real. It comes from something, probably trauma that you're experiencing or that you lived. And then that compassion can help you make it through. Compassion is like food or gas or money. Compassion is, you know, that's hardcore fuel right there. Empathy. If you have the chance, I know sometimes inside you just really don't have the chance. But if you have the opportunity to do something good for someone else, even something small like a compliment, that also can create some positive energy to cheer you up. It's true. And it always, always, always comes back. And I feel like we're, we're in this period now where we've been encouraged to show the worst sides of ourselves to each other. And that's a way to counteract that energy you know i love that you said that that is profound what you said we have been encouraged to do that you're right and that's like a like a tool a real tool that we have right to we have the power to do that to push back against that and i think artists are always like well not always because they're obviously some artists that aren't doing that but i feel like as artists we can really push back against that effectively I agree with you. And in listening to what you're saying, it's revolutionary. It, it, it's like, it's actually revolution right there to, to do that. Like, you know, Audre Lorde would always, you know, so briefly talk about, right? I mean, she's my favorite, you know, talk about how self-care is revolution because we're taught not to do that. We are programmed against it. I wasn't taught it. You know, I know I'm sure you two could relate. I mean. Right, exactly. Claiming and claiming joy. Yeah, especially women. Claiming joy claiming your own joy, that is revolutionary as in whether you're doing it as an artist or, you know, just as a, a human being. Yeah. And that's the real work. Cause I know when I get out of produ production, then the challenge is, you know, being in that space, that that's an important space too, that quiet space. That's how we, you know, recover, rest, plant seeds. You know, you're right. It's we're too product oriented in the society and it's very damaging. So true. Yeah. I I think it translates to when we were talking about risk before, you know, the sort of typical setup for our lives is actually to minimize risk. You know, you're supposed to go to the right school, do this, do that. And then, you know, you'll achieve some 
sort of version of success. But the, you know, it actually takes bravery to be an artist to kind of reject that and say, you know what, that's not really my path. I, I'm going to take a risk and just literally go on it, you know, in a different direction. It takes a lot of bravery and it's a huge risk. And I don't feel that as the path goes, it gets necessarily easier. I wouldn't say that it does. And I wouldn't say that there's more affirmation or confirmation, right? Or anything like that. It's just that you don't stop because you know you're supposed to do the work. You're compelled by the work, right? Exactly. You know yourself. You know yourself. Well, and in some ways, in some ways, like you have to do it, right? It's like, for me, it's art is the thing that sustains me. So yes, it's hard, but that doesn't, that's in no way going to deter me. It's also the thing that keeps me up. So I'm not going to stop doing it. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's how you make yes. sense of yourself, the world, your community. And Absolutely. Life. Yeah. And it's healing. It's, it's very deeply healing. I mean, I think it's the most healing modality there is. I, I, I do believe that. Well, thank you, Jesse, for all of the healing that you have given to the world, to the people around you, to communities, to folks on the inside. Your work is so incredibly powerful. And, you know, I can't wait to see the show and, you know, to see, you know, what the Roots and Wings project has in store in the future. I know it's going to be big. It's going to be powerful. And we just really appreciate you for all that you've done. Thank you so much. And I, I want to say likewise, what you're doing is also extraordinary. And thank you for your contribution. And thank you for having me. I'm honored. You're welcome. You're welcome. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us here at Outside Inside Radio and listening to this episode. We appreciate your support. And you can find out more about us at www.prisonartscollective.com. Until the next time.